0: Good morning. morning. Uh, If you've been at this church for any amount of time, uh, you'll know at least two things about me that are true, and they're just—if you don't know them, it's important for you to know them uh, if you're going to be here going forward. Uh, The first is this: the first is is that two of the most important years of my entire life. Uh, took place after college. Uh, it was after graduating from college that I went and taught English in Japan for two years. Uh, I taught in a rural village called Mikata over there. And among the many things that happened in those two years were I met my wife over there, who is uh, from Wales in Great Britain. Uh, and um, uh, uh, so that was a good thing. That was a good thing. and. Uh, <laughs> The second thing that happened over there is it's where I became a Christian. It was in a little house church run by some Norwegian missionaries that uh, the idea of Jesus became real for me. I'm still, uh, my family, I didn't grow up in this, my family is still wondering when I'm going to get a real job uh, someday and, and actually do something with my life. So, uh, and some of you may wonder the same thing. Um, <laughs> sometimes I wonder the same thing. The, uh, anyway, what you don't know is that there is one moment um, that also brought in the second part of my life. The second thing about me outside of the time in Japan, that's number one, is that I believe in the sport of basketball and believe that it could solve most social ills if we just gave it enough time and attention, okay? So those are the two things. What you don't know about me is that those two things for two glorious weeks collided in Japan because I unexpectedly became the interim head basketball coach of Mikata Junior High School. There are not many people that can make that claim, but I'm one who's worn the mantle. The way that this happened was I was teaching in this little town, Mikata, I was the only Westerner living in my town for these two years, and I had played basketball in school, I loved basketball, and I played in the league uh, in Japan, and one day the head basketball coach during my second year there uh, came up to me and he didn't speak much English and I didn't speak much Japanese, and after about an hour of gestures and charades and conversations, I figured out he was inviting me to come be an assistant coach on the team which I then took about 45 minutes to say yes, back to like trying to like communicate that I would do that and what were the expectations. And it was awesome, it was great. He is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, but the team, it, bad is not a word to describe Mikata Junior High School. We had not won a game in over four years uh, and and basketball is not a big sport in Japan. Japan, the, the Japanese are really good at numerous sports, but basketball is very low on the totem pole. So you get in the schools like the athletes that don't play other sports, who play basketball, and of those athletes who are not very athletic, which I can relate to as a basketball player quite a bit, of those non-athletic people that came out for basketball, we, our non-athletic people were worse than the other schools' non-athletic people. And I don't mean we would lose games by a little bit, I mean it would be like 42 to 10. Okay, and we would kind of talk to the guys and they're like well we scored 10 points you're like yeah it's good you know it's a, a good start we were just bad so I said yes I would go coach it because it's like I can't make this any worse I thought but what happened was is we we went through the year I had fun I loved getting to know the guys and they would work so hard they would run in practice they would run through the drills they would run in games they just weren't good and so um and so the season went on we didn't win anything and then one day with two games left we played one game a week The principal of the school called me into his office one morning, which whether you're a teacher or a student is not a good thing. Essentially, what the principal explained to me, because he didn't speak much English and I still didn't speak much Japanese, was that the head coach had had to have emergency surgery the day before, and he was going to be okay, but I was the interim head coach now of the basketball team with kids I couldn't speak to, In in games with referees I couldn't communicate with, and I was in charge. I knew this was my moment. i had been waiting for this moment my whole life. Like that, none of that hit me as a bad thing. I'm like, totally, I am totally ready for this moment. I, I won't disappoint you. Uh, and you know, I went running out and we kind of practiced. We we're like, this is what we're gonna do. And, and the game came up. We'd practiced for a couple of days to get ready for it. And we lost like 70 to two. I mean, like we got blown out worse than before. And so I was like, afterwards I was like down and I'm like, you know, what are we gonna do about this? And I came up with an idea. Now, here's my idea. The idea was is that uh, because basketball was a, a, a sport that not many uh, folks had played very long over there, it was a very slow-paced game, okay? And what that would mean is one team would get the ball, and they would bring the ball to the court very slowly, and the players would all listen, and the coach every time would say a play from the sidelines, and then the players who would move towards the sideline to listen to the coach would run out to play, and the defense would get set, and then it would go. So it was this very slow-paced game. And so I was like, we are going to speed this game up. That's gonna be our advantage. We are gonna not wait for the defense to get set. We're just gonna move. If you're a basketball nerd like I am, think Loyola Marymount in the late 80s with Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. We're just gonna be running and full court pressing. And the, the game came around. And I taught my guys three offensive plays. Okay, three plays, and we practice them all week. I'm like, when we get the ball, I will shout out the play immediately, and you five, just run. Don't look for the defense, don't watch me, hear my voice, and run to where you're supposed to go, And, and, and these were the three plays. The first play, we very creatively entitled 22. It's a great play. Right? So I would just yell out, yell out from the size 22. Why did we not start with the first play being 11? I have no idea, I'm not very logical. So we start, play number one, 22. Play number two, we entitled 33, and I would yell that out. And you will be stunned to know the third play we called 44. So what would happen is we'd get the ball and I would yell, I don't need a microphone, I can project pretty loud, and I would yell 33 or 44 and the guys knew what to do and they'd sprint. And when the first game came around, we got the ball, I yelled the play out, the defense was not ready, they were walking back and I yelled it out and our guys went down and for the first time in four years, we scored a basket in 10 seconds in the game, we were actually winning. We were winning two to nothing. And you would have thought the game was over. Like my guys were like running around like this. And it's like, you got to go back and play defense. The other team didn't know what had happened. The, re- the coach on the other team started screaming, saying we had done something illegal. And the ref was like, no, it's not illegal. You can do that. And so, but they didn't catch on for a second. So we had all these plays where I was like yelling out 22 or 33. And the kids would sprint up and the other team was trying to figure it out. And we went up by like 15 points. I mean, it was like unheard of what was going on. Finally though, the other team started catching on, they started running back on defense, they were much better than we were, the score started getting closer. The coach on the other team started figuring out what we were doing and he started trying to yell numbers as well to confuse my guys. So he would like yell like, 33, like that, like like 33, 44. And and I would look at my players, I'm like, you listen to my voice, I sound different than him. I'm not saying better, I just sound different than him. Because, you know, and so so listen to my voice and respond to my voice. And the game got closer and closer but the clock was winding down. And in the end, Mikata Junior High School won our first game in over four years at the end. (laughs) It's still the high point of my life. It's like still, it's like the greatest thing ever to happen to me. And you thought we would have won the NCAA championship. I ran onto the court. The kids were flipping out. I had a parent crying after the game because their child had never known what it was like to win a sporting event before. Uh, I mean, it was just this like glorious moment. Um, and, and, and it was great because my kids, they learned, to, they learned to hear my voice and trust it. Studies show that in our world today, and the reason I've been thinking about this story, studies show that in our world today, many of us are increasingly feeling more and more and more like my players on that team, which is that we're working really hard. We're really busy with a whole lot of different things. We're about to go into a busy time of year here at Covenant and schools and in everything else where things are going to ramp up. If you're like me, you can feel the gears starting to click in and all of that. And that the result of it is that we are going to bed at night, exhausted like my players, feeling tired like my players, and feeling like of all the different things we're trying to do, of school, of parenting, of friendship, of church, of faith, of work, of life, feeling like as we go going to bed at night exhausted, we're not doing any of it particularly well. And I wonder if there's a different way of living. I wonder if there's a different way of going into this fall, not of just the muscle memory kicking in of here comes the schedule and the stress and the pressure, but if the Bible calls and describes something else, where we learn among the noise of life to listen to a voice and that life becomes much more about responding than going out and proving yourself all the time. It becomes more about hearing the call to each of us and following to explore that, we're going to explore the idea that life in the fall isn't meant to just get bigger with more option and more schedule, but indeed our lives are meant to grow smaller, to be able to focus on that voice and learn to hear the voice of God calling out to us. And the scripture that's going to guide us is from the Old Testament, from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. And, and, and I invite you just to just listen and, and, and to meditate on these words. Scripture says this, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. That a great phrase. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that no matter who we are, no matter how we walk in here, what questions, what doubts, what opinions, what hopes, what dreams, that we would encounter you and you would change our lives forever to live a life of joy and abundance and purpose. We pray for this, all of this, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so so we're going to try to spend the next five weeks really talking about how we learn to hear that voice of God calling and responding as we read about in this passage. And that's not something we're going to cover, like I said, in one week. Learning to hear the voice of God and follow it is, is complex. It, it, it's something that we're going to have to wade into together. We don't just do figure this out by ourselves. There's both a communal part of we do this in community to learn to understand the voice of God and hear it. But there's also things we have to do individually. And so we're going to kind of start this five-week journey by talking about today what it means to position ourselves, our lives individually, to learn to hear the voice of God, to be able to hear no matter what age of stage of life. We are that God is calling us. Now, this scripture is going to guide all five weeks. So I want to give you just a tiny bit of background on it. Um, this scripture, uh, we believe First and 2 Samuel, was written about 600 years before Jesus was born. And it comes at a really important time in the history of Israel. Because what's happened is, if you read before 1 Samuel, uh, this is a time where uh, the people of Israel have gone into slavery in Egypt. We read about that in Exodus. God delivers them from slavery. Uh, they then, uh, after wandering in the wilderness, move into the Promised Land. But the Promised Land, while they're there... They're always described as the 12 tribes of Israel. If you've read some of the Old Testament, that should sound uh, just familiar. They were always like the 12 tribes. And, uh, and, but what happens under Samuel is they start becoming more of a nation. They start, they start losing and choosing to let go of their tribal individual identity and saying that we want to be one nation together. And that's a huge change and a huge process for any people to go through. And Samuel, who's a boy in this passage, is going to, as an adult, become the high priest that leads the people through that time, through that huge change, okay? Samuel kind of talks to them about how to do that spiritually. He anoints the first two kings, King Saul and then King David. Samuel is a major figure of both the religious and the political life of the people of Israel. But this is the story of him as a boy. This is where God starts getting involved in his life. And and, and, and the reason he's in the temple is Eli, the other person in this passage, uh, is not his father. But he is the chief priest at the time. Eli is the chief priest um, while Samuel is a boy. And Samuel, his mother was named Hannah. His father was Elkanah. And Hannah and Elkanah were not able to have children. And some of you, and I know Beth and I have been on this journey for years, journeyed through infertility, and how difficult that journey is and how painful that journey is. And as uh, they are journeying through that, even though Elkanah and, Sam, and uh, Hannah have a, have a good marriage, uh, this sadness of not being able to have children starts to envelop them. So one day in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, the mother, is in the temple crying out to God, asking God to let her have children. Some of you probably today have a prayer that if you are honest and real, you're kind of crying out to God going, I do not understand this. This was the prayer Hannah was crying out. And she was crying out in such a way that Eli, who we read about here, who was the chief priest Caesar and thinks she's had too much to drink. And so he comes up to her and goes, you are making a spectacle of yourself. But then she tells her story and pours out her heart and Eli hears it and blesses her. And then she keeps praying day after day and sooner um, and after a while she's able to have children. She winds up having six But she promises to God that if God allows her to have children, her first child, she'll uh, turn over to the temple to be trained as a priest. And so Eli here is the chief priest, and he is training the boy Samuel, whose mother and father had brought him to the temple to be a princess. So he's learning how to be a priest. And he's hearing all of a sudden, it's this spiritually dry time, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And as the word of the Lord is rare, uh, all of a sudden, Samuel hears this voice, and he doesn't know what it is. He does what you would think. He runs into Eli's room. He's like, hey, did you just call me? I heard someone calling my name, and Eli's like, no, I didn't call you. And then the second time, he comes running in, and you can feel, and you read this again, Eli, like, getting frustrated. And any parents here of young children, you know what this moment's like. It's like, you didn't hear anything. Go back to bed. Don't get out of bed again. I'm telling you not to get out of bed again. Go back to bed. The third time, Samuel gets up, and Eli starts to understand what's going on and says, If you hear that voice again, say this, speak, for your servant is listening. Okay? So this is is what takes us to this moment. And this is where where we start to see God getting involved in Samuel's life. We start to see God becoming a part of everything that's going on with Samuel uh, in this moment, and it changes the course of his life. Now, here's my proposal for this series, and here's my proposal for today. The same God who 2,600 years ago in Shiloh called out to Samuel is the same God at work in our life here in Austin, Texas today. The scriptures say that God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting, that God is God, and therefore what I believe and my proposal is is that today, this day, God is specifically calling each of us today by name. And the question, like with my basketball players, is does the noise and the franticness of life become so busy that we can't hear it? Or can we learn to tune into that voice and follow it? That's saying this day, Clark, Kim, Bonnie, Steve, I wanna do something new in your life, in your family, that will make the ears of anyone who hears it tingle. That God is calling. So we want to learn to listen. Now, how we do that at Covenant, and I hope you've heard this before, is we have kind of three core behaviors for how God shapes us and forms us. And all three of them are really important. It's like a three-legged stool. When We talk about our vision of encouraging one another to follow Jesus uh, where we live, work, and play. And someone says, well, how do you do that? It's like, well, we're formed in these ways. The first behavior we talk about is that we're called into patterns of solitude. Second is we're called into patterns of community. And the third is we're called into patterns of service. And we don't get to pick and choose which one of those we like or which one we want to do. It's like a three-legged stool. You take one leg away, the stool collapse. And so today what we want to talk about is, is, is how solitude is a part of hearing God's voice. And when we talk about solitude in your prayer life, how do you connect with God spiritually? There are a lot of us that are like, yeah, it's not really my thing. Culturally, we're not as drawn to that one. Cause if it's like community, it's like, I can sign up for a small group and do that. And I can check that off my list. Service project, day of service, sign me up. And those are not bad things, but solitude is like more amorphous, right? It's more like, what does that mean? And so I have people a lot and I feel this, like I'm not really an introvert. I'm not like kind of a by myself person. So it's just not my strength. And you're like, I get that. I'm not an introvert either, but that's also not an answer right? This is something all of us are called to do, to start to learn. And yes, community is a part of it. But in solitude, how do we learn to hear that voice? So that's the invitation today and this week, how we begin to hear this voice and respond and grow smaller and hear it. Now, we wanted to grow smaller as we close uh, today with some specifics of what we mean by solitude. Okay, Rather than just going, so pray more. You should do that. Have quiet time, pray. We wanted to bring some up. So we're going to bring some up on the um, uh, uh, screen here. And uh, there's five points we're going to run through real fast. So if you want to take a, a picture of this, you're welcome to. But just get the five points up or you're going to get frustrated. It's like, God, there's another one. Um, so, so we're going to talk about this. How do we begin to listen in solitude? How do we grow smaller and more focused on what this means and what it looks like? Point number one, we've got to embrace a regular habit of unplugging and praying. And this form might vary over time. What I want you to hear is that having saying that we're called to have solitude, quiet time with God, it's not God going, you better do this. I'm telling you, you better do it because these are the rules. God is inviting you to communicate with him. God, the creator of the universe is going, I want to spend time with you. I want to talk. I want you to hear from me. There's been some studies that have been done about human flourishing that have really shaped me and shaped the course of things we're talking about at this church. And one of the things that study after study has shown is that people who are flourishing in their life have regular habits of unplugging and praying. Now, this can look different what people do, but there are times, and again, we're not anti-technology. Technology is a good thing. Social media can be a good thing, but it's also a good thing to turn it off from time to time, and to unplug and to pull back on a regular basis is an inherent part of human flourishing. What we also read and studies show is that, the second sentence there, that forms might vary over time. And so what you might do at a certain time to find quiet time, to hear the voice of God, might differ over time because relationships change. So you might have heard people who said, every year for 34 years, I'm up at 6 o'clock in the morning and reading Oswald Chambers and doing it. If that works for you, great, but you are the exception, not the rule. Most people, their spiritual lives change over time. So if this feels like a dry period spiritually, it might be time to start changing up how you do it. Instead of journaling, sit and pray in quiet. Instead of sitting in a room and praying, go on a prayer walk uh, or start journaling. Start talking to other people about their spiritual practices because any relationship changes over time. But there is no human flourishing if we are not communing with God. And then we stretch for it. We're going to do a silent retreat, a half-day silent retreat, which some of you may hear and go like, I can never do that. I felt that way too. It's going to be a half-day silent retreat on the first Saturday in December. So if you sit there and it's like, I wanted to go, I just didn't have time. We're giving you four months morning. You have time to put it on. It's three hours on a Saturday morning. You can do it if you choose. I know it's a busy time here. Put it on your calendar now. Start working your way like a race. Start trying to do three times a day. Start coming. Come talk to one of the pastors. Come talk to someone. How do we do this? How do we grow in this? And stretch towards having three hours of a silent retreat. But we've got to have these. Second, and this is sort of a generic thing you can say in church anyway, but number two, consider using Scripture. Scripture is a good thing. But why do we say Scripture is a particularly good thing here? Well, first off, because Scripture is not a rule book. One of the ways God can speak to us is through his living word. So we can read scripture and it can be be where God lights a fire in us for something because it can live and it works. Also calling needs to align with scripture. Okay. I've gotten permission to share the story. There's a guy I love who is in a a church in Atlanta. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. He came up to me one day. He's like, man, young guy, young business guy. He started a company. He's like, he goes, Hey, I know this is going to sound weird, but these next two years for my company are like really critical and we could make it really big. And I think God's calling me to just crush it for two years. I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, it means I'm going to be traveling all the time. It means it's going to take my total focus. Uh, I'm really not going to be around uh, to see my family as much as I'd like to, but it's just kind of what it's going to need to be. Uh, I can't be involved in a small group. I can't be involved in the life of the church. Probably not going to be. I'm going to be too exhausted on Sunday mornings to worship. But but at the end of two years, I think I'm going to make some serious money, and then I think that I'll be able to do those things again. And I was like, God's not calling you to do that. He's like, well, what do you mean God's not calling me to do it? I'm like, I said, here's your task. Over the next week, find me one example in the Bible of God calling to someone to anything that resembles that, and then we'll talk about it. And he came back the next week, he's like, well, I don't know the Bible that well, but I couldn't find anything. I'm like, because it's not there. It's not there. You can't justify that and go, I think God's calling me to do it. It's like, no, you're wanting to do that. Calling needs to align with scripture. And so we need to, can let God speak to us, but it also can tell us and help us discern what a calling is. Number three, listen with ears, mind, heart, and soul with hopeful expectation. There are people in this church who, like Samuel, have heard a voice, and it's changed the course of their life, and God can speak that way. There are people in this church who, God, haven't heard a voice, but God has called them something, and they have lit their heart on fire to move in a new direction in their life. And so you've got to listen with more than just your ears, and we don't grade these things based on did you hear a voice or not. A calling is a calling, and God speaks in all different kinds of ways. So pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your feelings. Pay attention when your heart really gets kind of caught on fire for something that, that might be God calling you to something and you need to explore it. This week I was sharing uh, with a, a woman in our church about this and, and she told me this wonderful story. She told me about how she recently has uh, uh, gone through some tremendous loss and a lot of pain and grief in her life right now. And all of a sudden one day her Facebook messenger lit up because uh, see social media can be a good thing. And, uh, and it was a, her best friend from high school who she hadn't spoken to in almost 20 years. And that her best friend in high school was praying that morning and just had this long lost friend of hers put on her heart in a powerful way. And she said, I knew I had to track you down. I just wanted to check in. How are things going? And she said, we have reconnected and she has been a real part of my healing. God called her through that feeling, that urge that she had. And it's healing my life because God called her to it. So we got to listen with the fullness of how God can speak. Fourth, It usually offers a direction rather than a destination. And this is important because sometimes people are like, I don't know if God's calling me to this or not. And it's because I don't know the five-point plan of how it's all supposed to work out for me and my family. It's like, well, if I do this, I I don't know what the end result is. Callings almost never give you the end result. The word of God says, the Bible says that, that God and the word of God will be a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path. We want that to be a spotlight shining down the path going, okay, I see it and I see all the potential dangers and I see the destination, okay, I'll go. When the Bible talks about a light for our path, the, 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 in biblical times, the, uh, the lantern that they would hold could shine out light about 18 inches in every direction. Meaning that someone had to go, that's a path. And you're like, well, I don't see a path. And it's like, well, do you see the step in front of you? Yeah, the light shows me the next step. It's like, okay, we'll take it. And trust that as you take it, the next step after that will be revealed. And so if you have these kind of like this sense of God stirring something and it feels weird and it feels crazy and it feels different and you're not certain where it goes, you need to understand that when Jesus calls the disciples, he never says to them, come walk with me and here's how every day over the next three years is gonna work. He just says, come walk with me and they follow. So you gotta follow that even if you're not certain where it goes. And last, let me finish with this. If you're sitting there going, yeah, well, if I unplug and I do all this, where do I start? I still don't know where to start. Consider just praying about where, as we see here in, the, in verse three, where the word of the Lord is rare in your life. All of us, if we're honest, have these places where it's like, I don't know why God's not leading me here. I don't know why God's not saying more to me here. I feel confused about this. I'm not certain um, why my life or why I'm in this situation now. And if you want some place to start, start with where this text is. Where is the word of the Lord rare? And take that and hold it up before God. Not once and check a box. I'm talking about daily this week. Hold it up and go, God, I need to hear from you on this. What do you want to do? And I believe, friends, that if we do this, that when we walk back in here next week, there are going to be a number of us running around going, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something about what God might be doing in my life. And be careful because your ears may start to tingle. That's what living looks like. May we embrace it this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here where we might be in a time where the word of the Lord feels rare, that you would speak to us clearly, that your gospel would lead us and give us life and hope, and that this would be a season not when we would do more, but we might do less. We might grow smaller in our focus that our lives might be abundant and have more than we ever imagined possible. We pray for this and pray for this this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen.